Hello and welcome to this uh, final podcast in the series talking about uh, diseases of the breast. My name is Philip Herod, I'm a surgical registrar in the East Midlands and I'm joined again by Mr Sibbering, consultant oncoplastic breast surgeon at the Royal Derby Hospital. This podcast is going to focus on the treatment of breast cancer. So Mr Sibbering, can you tell me how breast cancer is treated uh, in the United Kingdom? I think when you talk about the treatment of breast cancer, you firstly need to classify it into different types. So if we talk about primary operable breast cancer, by which I mean there is a cancerous lump in the breast that is mobile, not fixed to the chest wall, and they may be involved auxiliary lymph nodes, but they are not fixed and are mobile. The second would be a locally advanced breast cancer, where due to its size or local uh, changes, it is currently not operable and will be regarded as a locally advanced breast cancer. And the third would be where the breast cancer has been spread already to distant metastatic sites. So concentrating first on primary operable breast cancer, the treatment of choice initially is generally surgery. There is an ongoing vogue in the United Kingdom to introduce neoadjuvant treatments such as chemotherapy to downstage breast cancers but most women will first off have surgery as their first uh, treatment. Occasionally in elderly patients with significant comorbidities, primary endocrine treatment will be given for uh, individuals with estrogen receptor positive breast cancers. So for primary operable breast cancer, what operations are routinely used to treat it? So if we first talk about the operations on the breast, there are really two operations. One would be a wide excision and variations of that where you aim to take the tumour out with a clear margin of excision around it and then supplement that with radiotherapy. And the second would be a mastectomy. Historically, it was thought the more radically you were, the better it was for outcome. And we now know that whether you carry out a wide local excision and radiotherapy or a mastectomy, from a survival viewpoint, the outcome is the same. So wherever possible, we aim to give women now choice of breast-conserving surgery or mastectomy. Modern oncoplastic techniques have extended the range of women who are able to have breast-conserving surgery, and we've used the techniques used in breast reduction surgery and, and uh, to actually apply those to cancer surgery to allow uh, larger tumours to be removed in women with larger breasts. In essence, the decision as to whether a woman uh, is suitable for breast-conserving surgery will be related to the size of the tumour, where the tumour lies in the breast, in relation to the size of that patient's breast. So it is relatively easy to conserve the breast with a breast-conserving operation in a with a large breast with a small tumour that isn't central. And it's relatively difficult to conserve the breast in someone with a small A-cup bra-sized breast with a tumour perhaps in the upper inner quadrant of the breast where the cleavage is and that would cause significant cosmetic deformity by carrying out breast conserving surgery. So for the majority of women we can give them a fair choice between breast conserving surgery and mastectomy um, and those women who need to be advised to have a mastectomy for a good reason such as the extent of the disease or if the disease is multifocal they are generally advised a mastectomy and offered breast reconstruction where appropriate. So if you're offering a patient a choice between 
breast conserving surgery and a mastectomy and they've got a lesion which is suitable for breast conserving surgery, why would a patient ever choose to have a mastectomy? There are many factors in, involved with that and mastectomy rates around the country are very variable. Uh, but what appears to be apparent is that the more information you give a woman, the more likely she is to actually choose a mastectomy. And those units that don't offer a choice, then they're likely to have very low mastectomy rates, whereas those that do may allow some women to have that choice. Factors that seem to be important would be things like previous experiences in families, the worry that another cancer will appear in the same breast. Um, there's a current vogue for actually women seeking bilateral mastectomies because they're concerned about developing a breast cancer in the opposite breast. Generally, this is discouraged by breast cancer surgeons unless there's significant risk factor, such as a significant family history or genetic risk that would make that a, a reasonable proposition. So what do we do to the axilla when we're operating on breast cancer? So when we're talking about ductal carcinoma in situ, the cancer cells are still confined in the walls of the milk duct. So you haven't necessarily got to carry out any auxiliary procedure in that situation. The reason we carry out auxiliary surgery is for two reasons. One is to provide prognostic information and staging information. And the second is on occasion to carry out treatment of malignant disease in the axilla. In modern practice, for every woman diagnosed with invasive cancer, uh, she should have a preoperative ultrasound scan of the axilla. And if an abnormal node is seen, then the radiologist under ultrasound control will biopsy the node, either with cytology or core biopsy. And if that node was found to be positive, then standard of care would be to carry out an axillary node clearance. For everybody else, who hasn't been known preoperatively to have involved lymph nodes in the axilla, then sentinel node biopsy is the procedure which is a staging investigation. The technique of choice is the combined technique using radioactive and blue dye localization of the sentinel node or nodes in the axilla. The injections are given preoperatively and they guide the surgeon to take on average, two central nodes out of the axilla to give to the pathologist to provide staging information. At a later date, there may be a need for further auxiliary procedures to treat the axilla. This is currently a very controversial area uh, in breast cancer practice, and the options would lie between an axillary node clearance, which may be over treatment for some, axillary radiotherapy, or on occasion just relying on systemic treatments as sufficient to treat the patient. So when it comes to staging breast cancer, why doesn't every patient get a, a staging CT scan, for example, like colorectal cancer patients would get? The reason that, that CT scans are not carried out routinely is that the vast majority of them are normal, 99% of them will be normal, and therefore it doesn't really help to subdivide patients into those who might have metastatic disease and those that don't. So we tend to concentrate on the post-operative histology to give us a, an assessment of the likelihood of micrometastatic disease and then plan our systemic treatments accordingly.
Okay then, so what adjuvant treatments are used when treating breast cancer? So there are a number of adjuvant treatments that can be considered, and these would be endocrine treatments, radiotherapy, systemic chemotherapy, and targeted treatments such as Herceptin. And so, uh, if you especially start with the endocrine treatment, approximately 70% of breast cancers are estrogen receptor positive. And if that is the case, then there are candidates to have endocrine treatment in the form of tamoxifen if premenopausal, or tamoxifen or an aromatase inhibitor such as mastrozole if they're postmenopausal. The, major, the vast majority of women with ER-positive invasive breast cancer will be offered endocrine treatment, um, sometimes for very good prognosis patients with very small grade 1 node negative tumours, then endocrine treatment is harder to justify and they wouldn't get it routinely. Radiotherapy is standard after wide local excision as part of the standard treatment, but radiotherapy may be given to the chest wall uh, and to the neck uh, supraglomical lymph nodes uh, as a follow-on treatment uh, after a mastectomy. And if there are four, four or more positive auxiliary nodes after clearance, then supraglomical fossa radiotherapy would be given. The decision on adjuvant chemotherapy is multifactorial and based on prognostic factors. The Nottingham Prognostic Index may be used to stratify women's risk, and that's a combination of size, grade, and lymph node stage of the tumour. And those women with a poorer prognosis, which will be those with high-grade, no positive tumours, also other factors such as vascular invasion, those would be factors that would be considered for um, giving systemic chemotherapy. Other factors taken into consideration in deciding regarding chemotherapy would be if the tumour was estrogen receptor negative and endocrine treatment was not a possibility. There are also now genetic tests that can be used to stratify women into high and low risk of recurrence. Uh, the Oncotype DX uh, assay is used where tumour tissue is sent to a specialised laboratory for analysis to make those decisions. Chemotherapy, when given currently, is generally anthracycline and taxane chemotherapy. And most uh, units would have a regime where they give six cycles of chemotherapy at three week intervals three of anthracycline and three of taxane. Perceptin, or trastuzumab to give it its proper name, is the first targeted treatment for breast cancer. And it's a monoclonal antibody that will be effective in HER2 positive breast cancers. About 1 in 6, 1 in 7 breast cancers will be HER2 positive and therefore only be effective in that proportion of women. It's given in combination with chemotherapy um, and is not used alone. Um, and it can be a three weekly injection that can be given for a year. Okay then. Finally, what are the common sites for metastatic disease, the breast cancer? Uh, the common sites for metastatic spread of breast cancer are the bone, the chest, the liver, and the fourth commonest would be the brain. So symptoms that you might look out for would be general bony pains and aches and pains, shortness of breath or chronic cough, 
or liver abnormalities or pain in the abdomen related to liver metastases. You wouldn't probably routinely examine every woman for um, central nervous system abnormalities, but obviously would react to signs that might be or symptoms that would be concerning, such as headaches or blurred vision or nausea or vomiting, etc. Thank you very much. And that brings us to the end of this podcast.